And how many of you are glad to be here? Uh, it's a privilege and an opportunity just to, to be able to worship and come together and celebrate and, and uh, you know, rejoice in what God's done this week and, and then reflect on, you know, what God did with just a piece of wood. And uh, it's, it's a cool thing. And I'm grateful to always have an opportunity to tell you about Jesus and uh, that's what we're fixing to do, all right? Before we do, I'd love to pray. God, thank you uh, just for a beautiful day. Thank you for this weather. Thank you for uh, giving us a place we can all come together and worship, dear Lord, uh, as one big family. Uh, help us just to count those blessings each and every day. And, and uh, dear Lord, I just pray that right here, right now, we'll just lay down whatever we, we brought in here from this week and just open our hearts and eyes and ears to, to hear you and see you, dear Lord. And and just help us to step out in faith when you ask us to and know that uh, you're going to be there. Thank you for this time, and we love you. I ask it all in your name. Amen. All right, so we're still in the book of Ecclesiastes. Um, I don't know how many weeks we've been, we've been kind of going through chapter by chapter and almost verse by verse, Ecclesiastes, and uh, we're in chapter 11 today. Almost done at the second, the last chapter today. Uh, let me find it here in my Bible. So Ecclesiastes, can anybody tell me anything they've learned over the past few months? What's Ecclesiastes about? Futility, right? What's futility? Pointlessness, meaninglessness. Everything under the sun, like in this world, Kind of what Solomon's saying is pointless, meaningless, without God, right? He's talking about stuff under the sun. So Solomon was King David's son, and Solomon was known to be, what, the wisest, richest man ever known to live. Can you imagine having everything at your disposal? And so Solomon writes... Ecclesiastes kind of toward the end of his life and he's reflecting on his life because he acknowledges that for the majority of his life he's got away from God, spending apart from God. Now he's older and he's reflecting right on what, what that was like and, and how it was unwise and, and all the things he had. And, and then you get to the end of your life and you realize, man, all that really didn't amount to much. It didn't amount to a hill of beans. Anybody ever heard that? So in chapter 11, we're, we're going, you're going to hear a whole chapter today. There's only 10 verses. Uh, we, we, thankfully, you know, I don't know however many hundreds of years ago, somebody decided to put, you know, chapters and verses to help us find stuff in the Bible, but it, it's really just a, Ecclesiastes was, was a kind of a letter Solomon wrote in a way toward the end of his life just reflecting on it and trying to help people see that apart from God, there ain't much to look forward to, no matter what you got or how much you got. And uh, in chapter 11, it starts, he's, he has, you know, Solomon wrote Proverbs as well, and Proverbs are kind of these wise sayings. Does anybody, and so chapter 11, kind of majority of it is are just these wise sayings almost. Um, I thought about how many of you ever hear 
a wise saying. Every time you talk, can somebody tell me a wise saying? You know, something your grandma or grandpa says, or and you didn't really understand. You might call them a southern saying. I just call them. Wife is always right. Money don't grow on trees. It almost it seemed like it did for Solomon. <laughs> for those of you online or didn't hear, Pastor Scott said he that lives in a glass house does what? Better dress in the basement. <laughs> so uh, I got a couple just to help you kind of just to help you kind of figure out where I'm going. Uh, many hands make light work. Don't count your chickens for the hatch. Pretty is as pretty does. Early bird catches the worm. Can't make an omelet before, without breaking a few eggs. This ain't my first rodeo. Takes one to know one. Fortune favors the brave. There's hundreds of sayings. And they're just short little kind of pithy things that help you understand what somebody's trying to say in, in just like a one-liner. So Solomon gives us kind of these one-liners. Uh, I grew up in the South. I've been born and raised here my whole life. And so... A lot of times people will say stuff trying to help you understand uh, whether, and sometimes it could be wise, sometimes it could be trying to tell you how unwise you are, like uh, he's about as useful as a canoe with a trapdoor. Or uh, I'm as nervous as a long-tailed cat in a room full of rocking chairs. Or... Uh, the very first two verses, Solomon's kind of talking about being generous. You ever heard anybody say, he, he squeezes a quarter so tight the eagle screams? <laughs> uh, so these are just wise sayings, so let's get into it. Um, starting off, chapter 11, verse 1, he says, Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. What's he saying? What's that? What do you think? That's a wise saying. What do you think you mean? Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Well, back then, if you didn't know, wheat or grain was a commodity and, and a, a normal thing they traded. So what he's trying to say is, you know, in some translations, I think the NLT and uh, some other translations will say, ship your grain across the waters. Meaning, you know, he's probably referring to some sort of shipping venture. And it required a great deal of patience for a return on your investment. And so the idea was that it was wise and good to work for a return that can't be immediately seen. Kind of like, don't count your chickens before they hatch. Um, some commentators think that uh, this even speaks of generosity, meaning 
you know, cast your bread upon the waters is to them a way of saying, give your material things to the needy in a way that might seem wasteful. Kind of like throwing bread in the water. As wasteful as throwing bread upon waters and you'll be rewarded. If this is the sense, the point is, is much the same. Do something now for a reward that can't be immediately seen, right? So what I think Solomon's trying to say is when he says that kind of that one-liner is be generous. Not just, and anytime anybody talks about giving or generosity, I think people get a little nervous because you think they're going to start trying to talk to you about money. Yes, money is, is a part of something God blesses you with, but it's not the only thing. It could be your time, your talent, treasures, right? Be generous. Don't hoard your stuff. Be open-handed. Verse 2 says, give a portion to seven or even eight. For you know not what disaster may happen on earth. What he's saying is, The world's full of things we don't have any control over. There's an uncertainty to life, which is what Solomon's been talking about this whole book. So it's wise to be open-handed and be generous and, and to give your stuff to seven, eight, however many people, a bunch of people. Because you don't know when you might need to favor in return, right? Let's keep going. Verse 3. If the clouds are full of rain, they themselves empty, they empty themselves on the earth. If a tree falls to the north or the south, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. What's he saying? Whether a tree falls north, south, east, or west, there it lays. That's pretty straightforward. Kind of like these one-liners, you know. He's, he's just kind of reflecting on his life and saying, you know, you, you don't have any control over hardly anything, whether you realize it or not. So be open-handed. Be generous with your time, with your money. And realize that you not having any control over a lot of things, all the uncertainties of life that... Under this sun, right, we don't know. We think we know, but we really don't. I heard, uh, I was listening to a podcast this week, and I've told this story several times, but uh, this guy was interviewing another guy who um, was a UFC fighter, and um, they were talking about his training and, and just how hard he worked and why he did the things he did and how why what motivated him to to do the things that most people weren't willing to do. And uh, the guy ended up saying, to make a long story short, I realize that God has given me things that most people in the world don't have. And he's given everybody certain gifts and abilities and talents, right? And if you're not using those things to attract people, 
then they're missing out not only on your uniqueness and your gifts, but they're missing out on what God is doing through you. Meaning, whatever your thing is, whether it's singing, whether it's cooking, teaching, how you work, whatever God directed you to do a certain job, right? And, and you doing it well makes people pay attention, right? You're doing it to the best of your ability. It's kind of like a shiny object, right? Like a lure. So you using that thing to attract people, having this shiny object does what? It lure. It makes people pay attention, right? They notice. You sing well. You fight harder than anybody else. You're good at, you're wise. You're good at teaching people. You work on air conditioners. You, you grow peppers. I know, I know some, what some people do in this room, and, and I notice that God gives them these talents and abilities to give them opportunities. And so everybody has, in a way, kind of this shiny object that can attract people. But if you're hoarding it, if you're not generous with it, and you just use it for yourself, what does that do? That limits you and God. And it takes away opportunities for people to be able to see. What I love about this is it takes all the pressure off of you, in a way, when you realize that God's giving you things to attract people to do what? To point them back to Him, right? And then that takes all the pressure off of trying to be and do and um, what I'm trying to say is when you have this thing, no matter what the thing is, it isn't even really about the thing. It's about what the thing does and who it points to. And so when you do that to the best of your ability, it just points back to God when you realize it's not about you and you're generous with it and you're open-handed with it and you're unselfish with it. Verse 4 says, He who observes the wind will not sow and he who regards the clouds will not reap. That just points back to we're not in control of much. If you're a farmer, if you worry about which way the wind's blowing all the time and try to figure out which way it's going to blow, you probably ain't going to get much accomplished, are you? He who regards the clouds will not reap. What does that mean? Same thing. If you're worried about all of your circumstances, if you're worried about all the things that life throws at you and you're trying to figure them out what's going to happen more than likely you're going to get overwhelmed right trying to figure it out Jesus talked in in referencing verses 3 through 5 if the clouds are full of rain they empty themselves on earth meaning you don't know necessarily how many of you got the weather app on your phone it changes every hour don't it people you know you can forecast you can say well it's more than likely gonna rain today but there's still a chance it might not 
So if you worry about that and live your life according to what you think is going to happen, you're going to have a lot of a lot more circumstances and a lot of uncertainty. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. Verse 5 says, As you don't know the way the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. What's the whole point of that? We don't know. There's uncertainty in this life. You're not promised tomorrow, are you? Why do you think Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow? Because we're not in control of anything. Jesus is talking to uh, Nicodemus in John chapter 3. And uh, how, many, how many of you know John three sixteen? I think that's uh, when... That's a verse everybody points people to. And it's significant, but, you know, by this we know that He laid down His life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for others. By this we know love that He laid down His life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. That's what the ESV says. But right before that, right before he says that famous John 3.16, he's talking to Nicodemus on the rooftop at night, right? Because Nicodemus didn't really want anybody to, to know because of his uh, position and title and status that, that uh, he, wanted, he was interested in Jesus. So he meets him on the rooftop at night and talks to him. And, you know, Jesus is trying to tell him, you've got to be born again, Right? And kind of in the middle of that conversation, Jesus in, in verse 8 says, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear it sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So is this with everyone who is born of the Spirit. He goes on to say, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this is it evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God nor the one who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteousness. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. But we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not, whoever does not love abides in death. So what is Jesus saying? He's, he's ultimately saying the same thing. When you're thinking about yourself... And when you're not loving other people, when you when you haven't been born again, like he's trying to tell Nicodemus, you know, he says, uh, and Nicodemus says, "How can you be born again? Do I have to go back into my mother's womb?" He don't understand. Just like we don't understand, the wind blows where it wishes, and and you hear a sound, but you don't know where it comes from, or you don't know whether a tree falls north, south, east, or west, but there it lays. Just like if, if clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth, but you don't really know where. 
There's so much uncertainty in life. But what's something we can be certain about? Jesus is trying to explain that to Nicodemus, and he don't, he don't really understand. And that's why Jesus tells him, you've got to be born again. What, so to be born again, what do you have to do? You have to die to yourself. And it's not just a one-time thing. It's not just a, a, a one-time special prayer you pray and all of a sudden you're granted with everything you're going to need to know. It's a daily dying and walking with Jesus because it's a relationship. And I say it almost every time I get an opportunity to speak. What is a relationship? What do you have to do to know somebody? Spend time, right? So, the uncertainties of life, clouds, wind, rain, are going to overwhelm you if you don't know what? If you don't have, if your hope is not placed in what is certain, and that's Jesus, right? That's God, a relationship with Him. Because why? Because that goes on past this life. That goes on past under these under-the-sun things that, Solomon's trying to tell us about. So we're not in control of much. Verse 6 says, In the morning sow your seed, and then at evening withhold not your hand. For you don't know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. What he's trying to say and that one-liner almost is there's no virtue in wishful wondering, but there's hope in those who get busy and do their work. In the morning, sow your seed, but don't stop there. Don't just plant your seed in the morning. Don't just do your work in the morning. At evening, and at evening withhold not your hand. Keep on. It takes action, right? Your faith requires action. It isn't just a, I can do this thing and that's going to make me right and then I can go back to living how I want to and God will... It's a relationship. It's active. Just like working, right? you got to do something. That's why I worship, you know, I, I love that we get to come in here and celebrate together, but church and worship happens Monday through Saturday. Sunday is really just a celebration. We're in here partying, in a way, celebrating what God's done for us this weekend. And for those of you that don't know, it's maybe partly to get your attention and to help you know that there's something, there's things... And, and there is someone who can give you stuff that lasts, that will go on past this life because it's all temporary. It's all meaningless. It's all futile. Verse 7 says, Light is sweet and it's pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. That just kind of it's pretty straightforward. Things associated with light are good most of the time, right? And things associated with darkness are evil or bad, right? It's pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. 
So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. What's he trying to say? He's trying to give give you advice, whether you're old or young, because he says, if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. So if you live many years, that means you're old, right? Rejoice in them. But let him remember the days of darkness will be many, all that comes is vanity. Verse 9, he says it again, rejoice, young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. So he's giving advice for old people and young people, which is all of us, right? All of us are either old or young, and I don't, I'm not here to tell you what age that is. But what he says, he says, it, he says rejoice twice. What is rejoicing? Taking delight in something, right? So whether you're young or old, rejoice. How do you do that? I think too many times in settings like these, I know... Most of you can't see it, but for some reason, Bobby put this picture right over there of uh, Jesus laughing. And uh, it, it just, I think, reminds him, it reminds me that God didn't intend for you to not have a good time. Being a Christian don't mean you can't have fun. Whether you're young or old, while you're here on this earth, Solomon has been trying to tell you There ain't much to live and hope for when you put your hope in things of this world. And while you're here, you might as well enjoy it. And to do that, you need to be present. Whether you're young or old, be in the here and now. Because if you're worried about tomorrow, if you're worried about the rain, the wind, the clouds, what's going to happen, it's going to be hard to rejoice, ain't it? If you're worried about your circumstances, if you let your circumstances dictate your life, your job, your kids, how they're going to be, what's, we can go on and on and on about all the circumstances or uncertainties of life and trying to figure them out, but what is, what is it going to produce? Not much, right? When we get to the end of it, we're probably going to be saying, well... I don't know. I don't know what tomorrow holds. I don't know if it's going to rain. I don't know which way the wind's going to blow. I don't, we don't know. So whether you're young or old, rejoice. Rejoice in the fact that if you know Jesus and have believed and repented and confessed and have accepted, we got something to look forward to. And not only do we got something to look forward to, yes, we have heaven to gain. But if that's all you're looking forward to, you're missing out on a lot of blessings here on earth. It's a blessing to be here today. It's a blessing to be able to have two legs that work. It's a blessing to have breath and to have a mouth that speaks to be able to 
point people to something that goes on forever and ever and ever. And if you're not thinking about those things, it's going to be hard to rejoice. It's going to be hard to praise. It's going to be hard to see what God's doing. It's going to be hard to know. How many of you think, you know, my job don't matter. What I do isn't really important. I'm still trying to figure out my purpose. Well, we just learned what trying to figure stuff out produces. So my advice to you, which the funny thing about advice is I can tell you what I would do, but it ain't going to be what you would do, so it probably ain't going to do much good. But what Solomon's trying to do, he's, he's not, I feel like he's, he's at the end of his life, and he's, he's like, if you would just listen and understand that I've been able to do things that most people ain't been able to do, and I've had everything there is to have, women, money, palaces, all sorts of things. You can't even imagine. And I've realized that all that is useless. It's pointless. It brings despair, hopelessness. And that apart from God, it's all going to run out. If you're young, you know... uh, I've heard it in, in a lot of different ways. Uh, my grandpa used to say it. I don't know where he got it from. It was funny, me and Kyle were in the office talking about this. Because um, obviously Bobby's not here today, uh, which is why you'll get me and Kyle this morning. Uh, he's in New Orleans at the National Convention. Um, but Kyle was saying... Some quote, we were talking about wise sayings and quotes and dumb stuff people say and stuff like, you know, the whole thing about if you're about as useful as a trapdoor on a canoe. And, and uh, I forgot whatever the quote was he said, but he looked, tried to figure out who said it. And it had been said like, there was like 30 people accredited with the same saying which points back to Solomon just saying there's nothing new under the sun and people don't remember the past. But anyway, there's a saying that if you're going to be dumb, you've got to be tough. And a lot of times when you're young, you're dumb, right? Because you don't know. You don't know what you don't know. You haven't had experience. And so what I think he's saying in verse 9 when he's talking about young people and he's saying, Rejoice, O young man, in your youth. Let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Have fun. Enjoy life. Be in the now. Be present. Whether you're young or old, walk in the ways of your heart and inside of your eyes. And then he says, but. And anytime you say but, that just does away with everything you just said, whether you know it or not. But know that all these things God will bring you into judgment. So he's saying, yeah, have a good time. Have fun. Rejoice. Be that shiny thing that attracts people to God. And know who and where to point them to because that's what's going to last. But know that God will bring you into judgment. So he's not necessarily saying follow your heart. Yeah, do things that make you happy, but know that you're going to be held accountable for them. In Numbers, in Old Testament, 
uh, when they're sometime around when they're setting up the tabernacle and they have the, all the decorations and what goes into it and and, ha- and priestly garments and what priests should wear. In Numbers fifteen thirty nine it says, "When you see the tassels, so priests wore these tassels to remind them." You will remember and obey all the commands of the Lord instead of following your own desires and defiling yourselves as you are prone to do. So what does that tell you? When you do what you want to do and you're selfish and you're thinking about you, you're going to be prone to what? Prone to wonder. Ain't there a, Scott, ain't there a song? A hymn or something? Prone to wonder, your heart. Prone to wonder, and Scott could sing it better than I could. (laughs) But prone to wonder, just know that when you're following your own ways, you're you're gonna be led astray. Because we know that we're born with a sinful nature. So they used to wear these tassels that would remind them that they're prone to wonder. Romans, Paul in Romans in the New Testament says, so why do you condemn another believer? Why do you look down on another believer? Remember, we'll all stand before the judgment seat of God. So whether you realize it or not, when you get to the end, you're going to be held accountable for what you did, for what you said. That don't mean don't have fun. That don't mean rejoice and enjoy life and, and use the things God's given you. But it means just be careful. I understand why you're doing what you're doing. Verse 10 says, Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. How many of you use the word vexation every day? I don't, so I had to look it up. Um, remove vexation from your heart just means remove annoyance, remove grief, remove frustration from your heart. If you notice, Solomon kind of prefaces all that by what he said before. If you worry about the rain, the wind, the clouds... Who's doing what? If you're comparing, probably going to have a little vexation in your heart, a little grief, annoyance. Put away pain from your body for the youth and the dawn of life or vanity. This whole, I don't know, however many months we've been in Ecclesiastes, it's been a lot of wise sayings, but it's been a lot of depression and despair and and some of it's been hard to kind of preach through because he's talking about stuff apart from God and you're like man because it makes you realize I've spent a lot of my life doing stuff that didn't really amount to anything and I spent a lot of a lot of my I wish I could and you want to go back right and you want to change things or you want to try to start doing something different and what Solomon's trying to say is he said it in chapter 9. He said it in almost every chapter. He says it in a different way. But what he's trying to say is be here in the now. Be present. Don't worry about tomorrow. 
Don't fight a battle that's already behind you. God is very intentional when you're paying attention. And I'm sure if you have a conversation with some of these people in this room, they can tell you about how intentional God is being just this morning. Last thing I want to tell you is no, we don't know about a lot of things. There's a lot of uncertainty in life. But guess what? If you believe, we don't know, but we believe, right? Why do we believe? What do you believe? And why do you believe in it? Because you realize there's a creator of this world that created you and everything in it and there's something higher than you that has a purpose and a plan for your life while you're here on earth. And that even if it doesn't go the way you think it should, you can rejoice and praise and worship in the fact that because somebody was willing to lay down their life for us, and pay the price we should have paid that we get to receive blessings that will last forever. And we get a relationship with Jesus that goes on forever. That's what I believe. And that gives me hope. And that gives me encouragement. And that makes me happy. Which motivates me to tell other people. When you start to realize the depth and the height and the width and the, of just how much God loves you and how, what He had to do for you. And it wasn't because of anything He did. It was all because of the stuff you did. That don't make any sense, does it? It's unconditional love. We don't know, but we believe. So my question to you is, do you believe? Do you honestly and truly believe that? And if you don't, the only thing you have to do is confess it. Take 20 seconds of courage and step out in faith. A lot of times I have to pray whether I like to admit it or not, God, my heart ain't right. I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. But I know I can turn to you and I, and I need you to fix it. Help me to be patient in knowing that it ain't my timeline, it's yours. And rest in that. And get around other people that are going to encourage you in that. That's what church is. Church is a body of like-minded people. It's not necessarily a building or a place. It's people. My wife has a pillow on a chair. And it's funny, I kind of was arguing with her about getting the pillow because I thought it was useless. The pillow says, home isn't a place, it's people. That's what church is. And guess what? You can do that anywhere. It don't have to be just in this building. It can be in your garage, in your kitchen, at a restaurant, at a tire store, right out there in the parking lot, on the beach. So I encourage you. Take that step of faith, whatever it may be for you. We're going to sing one more song. Sheldon's going to sing one more song. And uh, I just want to invite you to, to ask God whatever you need to ask Him and have the faith to respond however He asks you to. And uh, if you need me, I'll be up here to pray with you and pray for you. But let's pray one more time before we sing. God, thank You. Uh, 
just for what you're doing right here and right now. Uh, help us to be in the moment with you and uh, let go of, of, of things in the past, dear Lord, and, and help us not to worry about what lies ahead because help us to rest in the fact that you've already been where we're going and you're outside of time and you can see all those things and, and help us to take comfort in the fact that of what Jesus said, of just you know how much he cares for us and to cast our cares on him because he does care for us and that flowers don't worry about what they're going to wear because you dress them and that birds don't worry about what they're going to eat because you take care of them and how much more do you care for us? God, thank you for Solomon and, and, and wise sayings and, and just reminding us that uh, apart from you, uh, there ain't much to look forward to and just thank you for Jesus and, and giving us something to look forward to. And I look forward to what you're going to do. We love you. Amen.